Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Thank you. Um, So hi, you guys. I'm Jackie. I'm a compulsive overeater and sugar addict, and um, I'm coming to you live from San Francisco. So thank you so much, Melissa, for asking me to speak and letting me be of service. Um, I'm going to kind of share my story with you through the what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and then um, talk a little bit about Tradition 11. So um, I guess in the what it was like category, a couple things that you should know about me is I grew up in an alcoholic household, and I have a family full of addicts, alcoholics, drug addicts, compulsive eaters, almost everyone is participating in in one of those diseases. Um, But of all of those addictions, um, in my house, the worst was to be overweight because that meant you were unlovable. Um, Appearances were really important to my family. So it didn't matter what kind of crazy stuff was happening inside our house. When you were outside, you had to be pretty, popular, a good student, and always fine. So um, I also should say that I was not an overweight kid, but I thought I was fat and I was made to feel fat. Um, I wasn't allowed to have any feelings because as I mentioned, you had to feel good and be perfect all the time. Um, And another thing that happened was when I was about eight, my brother got diagnosed with diabetes. So now sugar was taboo in my house. And um, I'm pretty sure I was already a sugar addict. So now I learned how to sneak eat. Um, I was an athlete growing up. In my freshman year of high school, I made the varsity gymnastics team. And I thought to myself, I probably should go on a diet so I won't look fat in my leotard. Um, and I look back at pictures now, I wasn't, I was not, like I mentioned, I wasn't overweight, but that was my first diet. And for the next 20 years, I went on my yo-yo dieting journey. Um, first it was up and down five pounds. Then it was up and down 10, 20, 30. You get the picture. Um, I also should say that along with that first diet, Um, was when I started drinking alcohol. And for me, um, I also identify as an alcoholic and I talk about it in my um, food share because for me, alcohol and food are interrelated. When I was drinking a lot, I didn't need to eat food. And when I was eating a lot, I didn't need to drink a lot of alcohol. So I kind of went back and forth between those two things while I was going up and down the scale dieting. So all through my 20s, um, all through my teens and 20s, I was either um, gaining weight or losing weight. Um, As I mentioned, I was on that diet roller coaster. Um, As far as what happened, uh, when in my early 30s, I got pregnant and um, I couldn't drink at all. And that was the first time that my, my compulsive overeating really went off the rails. I could not stop eating. Um, and I didn't have another substance to help 
sort of tamp down all these feelings that I didn't know how to feel. So if you remember, I said I wasn't allowed to feel feelings growing up. So I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, and after I had my daughter, um, my, my body chemistry changed and, um, I really couldn't use alcohol anymore. It just wasn't giving me the effect I wanted. Um, and again, I was turning towards compulsive eating. And another thing that was happening was I was starting to repeat parenting patterns, um, from my childhood that I didn't like. Um, so I was compulsive eating and depressed. I definitely had some postpartum stuff going on. Um, and I was, um, at my childhood home visiting family and my mom pointed out to me, she said, I think you're depressed. And I, I agreed. So, um, I, um, at the, my medical plan at the time, um, for depression, the offerings were medication, three therapy sessions, and maybe the ability to join a therapy group. So I did all of those things. Um, and I got steered into a therapy group for adult children of alcoholics. And part of um, the agreement for that group was that you had to stop drinking alcohol, which I did. But again, now all of a sudden, my compulsive eating is out of control, obviously, because I don't have the buffer of another substance. Um, so I um, couldn't stop eating. I was eating over every feeling that I had. Um, I was eating when I was happy. I was eating when I was sad. I was eating when I was stressed. That's five. Thank you. And um, the, the person who was running the therapy group that I was in said, you've got to get into a 12-step program and you also need to have need to be in therapy. So the only 12-step program I really knew about was AA. And I started going there and I really appreciated um, the 12 steps. I could definitely see how they could help me um, live a better life. I didn't really find a home in AA, um, mostly because I wasn't having a problem um, giving up alcohol. My problem was I couldn't stop eating and I didn't know what to do about that. So it was, I started seeing a therapist and she was the one who told me about OA and I'd never heard of OA before. Um, but I was willing to try because I couldn't diet anymore. And I also couldn't live with the compulsive eating. Um, it was killing me emotionally and physically. Um, I couldn't be the wife and mother and partner and daughter that I wanted to be in the world. Um, and I could see very easily where my life was heading and I didn't like it. So I um, went to an OA meeting and um, the, one, the woman who was leading the newcomer meeting was someone who said, she said, I, I haven't eaten sugar for 11 years. And I thought, that's amazing. I don't think I can do that, but I'd like to. Um, and sugar for me was my main compulsive eating problem. I wanted to eat sugar exclusively of every other kind of food. It would have been my breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if I, and sometimes it was. Um, and so uh, my, my OA journey started there. I asked that woman to be my sponsor. I bought all the books. Um, I started working the steps with her. But the truth is, um, I was in OA just to really lose weight. 
like I knew my compulsive eating was out of control. Um, I didn't really necessarily think the rest of my life was out of control. I was still holding a job and, um, you know, the other thing I have to say is that I also, again, I was just looking to lose weight. I wasn't really interested in the God piece. I was willing to go through the steps and try my best to accept a higher power in my life. But again, I was pretty sure that with the right diet, I could probably figure this out myself um, with a little support. So with the steps and meetings and a sponsor and a food plan, um, it took me about six months to get abstinent and off of sugar. Um, and I spent the first five years in program um, relapsing. Um, I had three relapses in that first five years. And that was just my journey. Um, I was very lucky that I was willing to stay in program through all of those relapses. Very grateful that um, my uh, recovery from those relapses was short. I was able to get back into abstinence. But after that final relapse, I said to myself, I'm not really sure I have another recovery in me. I can't be doing this again every two or three, you know, one or two years. I really need to surrender, which I did. I was at a very low point and I've got to figure out this God thing. So one of my problems was that I always felt like, how could God possibly care about what I'm putting in my mouth when there is? world hunger and COVID and <laughs> strife all over the globe. Um, and I heard some, um, a fellow in one of the LA podcasts talk about tiny God syndrome. Um, and meaning that I felt like God wasn't big enough to take care of the world and me. So how, what happened for me was I had to develop what I call my personal higher power who is available and able to help just me anytime I need it. So um, this God could take care of war and famine and also be there for me when I had a difficult work meeting I had to go to or when I didn't want to pick up um, food. And um, that really was a turning point for me. Um, so I have been since then been abstinent for five years and my abstinence is, um, no binging, no dieting and no compulsive exercising. And it's separate. Thanks for the timer. It's separate from my food plan, which is a weighed and measured three meals a day with one optional snack. Um, and sugar is one of the foods that I don't eat. Um, and just to kind of give you a glimpse of what my life is like now, it's very program heavy. Um, I find that the more program I do, the more time I actually have to live a life. So um, I start every day with prayer and meditation, and my prayer is pretty informal. It's just a, hey, God, um, I'm just asking that you help me. Um, do your will today so that I can be of service to you and my fellow humans. Um, I listen to a 7 a.m. big book phone meeting um, most days of the week, and that has really 
skyrocketed my recovery into the next dimension. As I mentioned, I follow a, a weight and measured food plan. And that's really recent for me is having the willingness to weigh and measure. But I've been praying for that since the beginning of the year. And since shutdown um, and this pandemic, my life has slowed enough uh, where I'm able and willing to do that mostly because I'm at home a lot. Um, I do a daily 10th step with another person where I can share what's going on in my day with someone who has recovery and hear and be of service to someone else in that way. I actively work the steps with a sponsor and I sponsor people and I also sponsor people. And I have to say, as part of my recovery, um, I can now look forward to the holiday season. And it is the holiday season. I consider like October through February the holiday season. And I remember how I used to dread the holidays always because it felt like running a gauntlet of food, family, and feelings. And now I don't dread holiday meals or treats or family gatherings um, because I have recovery and I don't have to rely on food anymore. Um, and that's kind of my segue into Tradition 11. And um, Melissa read Tradition 11, but I'm going to read it again. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. I am currently working the traditions with my sponsor. And what I've, I've read this 12 and 12 for the last 10 years, and it's only just now that I realize there are italicized questions at the end of every tradition that are basically asking, how do you practice this tradition? So I was reading through those, looking for some inspiration on, on um, step or tradition 11, and the one that stuck out to me was, do we talk about OA so fanatically or so often that we make it unattractive to the people in our lives? And I think about that first holiday season in recovery that I spent with my family and how I couldn't wait to tell everybody about the 12 steps and how they really needed a 12-step program, how awesome I was doing, and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? Nobody wanted to hear that from me. Um, <laughs> I, and I also really found out that when people ask me um, how I lost weight, or how I resist holiday treats, they don't really want to hear my answer, which is God and the 12 steps. They want me to tell them that I'm on some great diet or that I'm taking some medication or at the very worst that I've just had a stomach flu. You know, they don't, they're usually not really ready to hear the truth. So I had to figure out how can I still be of service and carry the message without necessarily shoving the 12 steps or OA down everyone's throat. Um, so I found really that the best way for me to, um, you know, do the attraction without promotion thing is to remain abstinent during the holidays um, so that I can show the people in my life what a holiday without binging and drama and guilt can look like. Um, and to the, you know, in order for me to refrain from those things that I just talked about, I have to be abstinent and I have to be present so that one, I can remember that the holidays aren't actually about food. 
And that was um, like a, a real light bulb moment for me. And it was my husband, who's a normal eater, who pointed that out to me. And it sort of hit me over the head, like, what do you mean the holidays aren't about food? It's really, for me now, about a time to be grateful for my life, for the people I love, you know, for abstinence and recovery, and for the 12-step way of life. Um, so I guess with that, I want to say to everybody that I hope you have a happy and abstinent holiday season. And thank you so much for letting me be of service today.